Hello and welcome to Frankly Speaking, where we dive deep into regional headlines and speak with leading policymakers and business leaders. I am Katie Jensen. More than three months after the October 7 attacks and the subsequent Israeli war on Gaza, more than 25,000 lives have been lost and over 54,000 individuals wounded, with a significant number being women and children. Israeli bombs have targeted hospitals, homes, humanitarian shelters and even places of worship. In this week's episode of Frankly Speaking, we hear from Palestinian pastor Reverend Mulder Isaac of the Christmas Evangelical Lutheran Church in Bethlehem. We ask him about the status of Palestinian Christians, the church's position on the war and whether the West, who he has accused of failing Palestinians, have begun turning on Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu. So thank you for joining us today on Frankly Speaking. Now, Israel's attack on Gaza has become one of the most devastating military offences of our time. Most of the casualties are civilians. Now, in recent weeks, we've seen South Africa take Israel to the International Court of Justice. Many countries in the West, including Canada and Germany, have been highly critical of South Africa's actions. They have come to the defence of Israel. Frankly speaking, would you categorise the events that have taken place in Gaza as a genocide? And what is your message to countries like Germany and Canada? It is a genocide. Uh, Israel told the world what it is doing, what it wants to do, and facts speak for themselves. Uh, how is the killing of thousands of children self-defense? How is that related to October 7th? How was the uh, displacement of close to 2 million people self-defense? Uh, I think it became clear to us, especially as Palestinians, uh, in the very first few weeks of the war, even days, that this is an attempt to end life in Gaza as we know it. That this war is, uh, is designed to create new facts on the ground. And you see the progression, not just the destruction of the infrastructure, but that they're talking about forcible displacements uh, and the high number of killings. Uh, it's clear what the intentions are. And even today, you have Israeli politicians talking about uh, reoccupying Gaza uh, and that uh, Gaza will never be uh, the same again. So uh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm shocked by the fact that Western countries that boast all the time about human rights and the international law are willing to turn such you know blind eye to something uh, like this to a genocide that is happening uh, right now and the more western countries continue to support israel in its war the more people die Okay, so you would clearly classify this as a genocide. Let's talk specifically about the ICJ, though, because as we know, these kinds of cases uh, often tend to drag on for years. Often these kind of rulings tend to be purely symbolic. They can be quite difficult to enforce as well. So in your opinion, is there any real value in taking Israel to The Hague? Can it really make an impact in reality? Uh, the, the most important element about the ICJ right now is that Israel realizes 
that there are uh, countries, leaders willing to uh, stand firm and take courageous uh, positions uh, because Israel has been doing what it's been doing because no one ever held Israel accountable. Uh, I was pleased just with the idea that all the crimes of Israel have been displayed in front of the whole world uh, to see. And I think uh, the ICJ could be a, a monumentous point in, in our history because it showed where the divide is. And I'm very pleased that it's a country like South Africa that led the efforts because they have uh, the moral credibility and authority to speak about such issues. A country that endured colonization and apartheid has the credibility to speak against colonization and apartheid and a, a genocide. And uh, the fact that other Western countries, the same Western countries and the same ideology that boast about human rights and supported apartheid in South Africa are now, you know, lining into to defend Israel is, is speaking volumes. Uh, I think the ICJ uh, deliberations and how countries responded to it clearly shows us where people stand today and where countries stand today. Uh, Gaza is indeed right now the moral compass of the world and where people stand uh, regarding the genocide that is happening in Gaza uh, right now is important. You're either with or, or with justifying a genocide or really standing with humanity and solidarity with, with the oppressed. Uh, to me, this is the most important moral and ethical element of the ICJ in, in that it divided our world. And again, I cannot say that uh, enough that South Africa is the country with the moral integrity, the moral credibility to speak on such issue, having uh, endured years of colonization. Okay, well, let's talk, let's talk about a little bit of that support because we've obviously seen strong statements from Canada, from Germany, from the UK and several other countries in the West. But we are starting to see signs that some of Israel's allies, allies are starting to distance themselves from Israel. Recently, we saw President Biden come out. He announced that he was confident that a Palestinian state was a feasible option during Netanyahu's reign. However, just hours after that statement, we saw... Uh, we saw a release from the Israeli PM's government that said they do plan to keep hold of Gaza after destroying Hamas. Now, many people have described this as a real slap in the face to President Biden, who for months has essentially given Israel unconditional support for their war in Gaza. Do you think that the US and other countries in the West are finally starting to wake up to this right-wing government in Israel? I will only believe it when I see results on the ground. And uh, for months now, we've heard that the, uh, America has uh, put some red lines to Israel uh, as what it can do and what it cannot do. And all these red lines have been crossed. Uh, the United States can say whatever it wants, but at the end of the day, to us as Palestinians, it comes across as empty words. Um, and I said this uh, uh, recently in December, I was uh, in the White House meeting with officials uh, uh, as a part of a Christian delegation asking for a ceasefire. And they assured us their commitment to do state and other things. And I said, uh, you've been talking about this for years and it's empty words and you've never been able to hold Israel accountable. 
the moment America not just says no, but acts in a way to stop Israel from breaking the international law and committing war crimes, I will believe it. The obvious example, uh, so that people don't link this with October 7, is the building of settlements. Uh, America has always said, stop the building of settlements, yet they've never done anything to stop it. And I think the same applies today. Anything America says about the war comes to us as empty words. Until we see it, we will uh, believe it. And to be honest, this has been uh, the most important element that empowered Israel and enabled Israel to commit such war crimes because no one is holding them accountable. You can say whatever you want in press conferences, but it's what uh, uh, facts on the ground uh, are that what matters to us. Well, of course, you delivered a very powerful Christmas sermon. That's something that has now been widely circulated. And uh, similar to your message you just gave there, you've been highly critical um, of the West, accusing them uh, really of double standards and insinuating that many Western governments have been quite selective when it comes to preaching about human rights because they have failed to protect the everyday rights of Palestinian civilians. Tell me, as a Christian religious leader, how let down do you feel? Particularly the fact a lot of these comments, a lot of these positions have come from countries that are predominantly Christians. In, in fact, if we look at the official title of the British King, it is the defender of faith. It's, it's very disappointing. It's very disappointing and disheartening, to be honest, uh, especially when uh, you combine that with uh, public statements from many of these countries about their concern uh, about the Christian presence in the Middle East. Yet all they do is support policies uh, that endanger uh, our presence. It's so hypocritical and it's so dismissive of our flights, uh, uh, our opinions and our perspectives. They never talk to us. And uh, if they talk to us, it's just to say, yeah, we met. But at the end of the day, uh, their political interests uh, definitely uh, trump any concern they have for Middle Eastern Christians. Uh, and when I said uh, in the sermon, I'm convinced now they don't look at us as equals, uh, I meant that they don't look at us as Palestinians as equals, whether we are Christians or Muslims. Uh, this is the heart of the issue. Uh, they have other plans. They have uh, political ambitions. They have political alliances, uh, you know, uh, and that is what they care about the most uh, on the expense of uh, our presence, our uh, reality on the ground. Um, and as I said, it is disappointing. And uh, uh, it, it's disappointing because these are the countries that always lectured us on human rights. As I say, it feels like there's a real disconnect, though, in many countries in the West between leaders and the populations, because as we know, we have seen mass global protests around the world, particularly in countries like the US, like the UK as well. Clearly, uh, a lot of the, the populations here do not support their government's pro-Israeli positions. What do you think that speaks of when, it, when we look at these Western democracies? Should these leaders be, list, be listening to their people? And the same applies, by the way, to churches. Church leaders are not speaking for their people. I think the people clearly realize there is severe injustice and they're very concerned about what is happening in Gaza. Yet church leaders are paralyzed to speak uh, and to challenge Israel for what it's doing. But yeah, the street, the people, the grassroots are with us. 
uh, and it is time that this is translated into voting power. Uh, this does not seem to be an issue so far that decides uh, which uh, leaders and politicians are, are elected. Uh, this reality speaks a lot about the gap. Uh, and once uh, someone is elected to a position, they no longer uh, speak for the people or act uh, like what the people want. Instead, they go within this political game. Israel is an ally to the West, and that is all that matters. Uh, even if uh, the people uh, don't see this, or even if the grassroots, the, the you know, even as I said, in churches, we received a lot of solidarity messages from congregations, from pastors, but it's the leadership most of the time that is not uh, speaking in unity or uh, that is not reflecting uh, what the people think. Well, I think you make quite an interesting point there when it comes to demanding more action from religious leaders, because we've seen the Vatican be very clear in its position. Uh, they've been praised for the Pope's commitment to defend civilians. He's even described what the Israeli army is doing as an act of terrorism. But I want to pick up on something you said there, because in such a hugely secular world today where politics and upcoming elections clearly have the upper hand, does the religious position really matter today? I hope it does. And the question is, which religious position matters? I mean, uh, let's not forget that uh, uh, Israel uses the Bible to justify what it's doing. I mean, uh, and many Christians support Israel for uh, theological beliefs. And certainly many, uh, you know, uh, not just Jewish groups, Islamic group and Christian groups use religion to justify exclusivism, exclusivism and uh, uh, exclusivity uh, and, and fundamentalism uh, and, and the denial of the rights of the other. Uh, it is my hope, it is my prayer and my commitment that faith leaders work for peace, justice and equality that, uh, and that, that we make our voices heard. Uh, and sadly, most of the time, it's the uh, very polarized church leaders who are maybe even faith leaders who are extremists that we hear their voice. And it's time that the voices that believe in inclusivity, in peace, in justice and equality, make their voices heard and, and not in a, in, a, in a diplomatic, nice way. Uh, I'm tired, to be honest, of uh, faith leaders just calling for peace and praying for peace. We need to call things out by their name. There is a system of apartheid right now in our country. We need to call it by name if we are serious about achieving peace. So it's time that uh, faith leaders who do believe in uh, justice, equality, and uh, uh, the, 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 the main principles that all people are created equal and deserve to share any land equally and have the same rights and responsibilities. I mean, it sounds... Uh, normal to say, and it sounds as if it's a given, but it is not in many parts of the world. It is time that we speak to uphold these principles. So you say we need to see more action uh, from leaders of the faith. And I suppose it's particularly challenging because as a Palestinian Christian, you are already in the minority, even before the war uh, broke out. I think there was only around 1,000 Palestinian Christians. Do you now feel, are you now concerned that there's a very real risk of your people being completely annihilated or, or destructed uh, for the first time in 2,000 years? Uh, sadly, you know, we're now facing the prospects of uh, the end of the Christian presence in Gaza. I hope I'm wrong. But as you said, uh, before the war, there was 1,000 Christians in Gaza. 
3% of whom have been already killed in this war, and the majority of whom lost their homes. Their homes, they told us their homes have been destroyed. Uh, here in the West Bank, many Palestinian uh, Christian families have already left out of fear. Uh, they look at what has happening uh, in Gaza and they think, could this happen to us one day? And uh, if they have ever hoped that there will ever be peace here, they looked at what's happened in the last uh, almost now three months or less, and they say, enough is enough, we want, we want to leave. Uh, we're struggling to keep a Christian presence in Palestine and the Middle East. Uh, and here in Palestine, it's impossible to thrive as a community uh, in the midst of conflict, uh, oppression, and occupation. Uh, life here is so difficult. Before October 7th, before October 7th, life here in Bethlehem was difficult. It's even more difficult uh, now. Many have lost their jobs because of uh, the fact that there are no tourism. Jerusalem is completely blocked now, isolated from us. West Bank cities are isolated from one another. Uh, life is tough here, uh, and as I said, it was very difficult before October 7th, and now it is even more uh, more difficult. Uh, and that's why I keep saying, if the world truly wants to see us survive here as a Christian community, the oldest Christian community in the world, let's think of that. This is where Christianity started. I always remind Western church leaders, you did not export Christianity here to us. We did. Uh, but if people are serious, it is time that Palestinians uh, receive their rights. It is time that justice is implemented here. And this is the only way in which we can uh, have a chance to survive as a community. And it's been truly horrifying that churches have been targeted in Gaza, along with hospitals and shelters also been targeted and destroyed. Now, the IDF, they have claimed that these locations were being used by Hamas to hide and store weapons. In, in your opinion, is there any truth to that? And what are you doing to help Christians in Gaza? Yeah, first, let's let's make sure that people understand there is this illusion that Israel treats Christians favorably or in a special way. And, and if anything, this war made sure is that this is not true. Uh, everyone who sees what happened in Gaza realizes that everybody is a target. Uh, churches were not safe. Uh, Christians actually, you know, took refuge in the churches, thinking that they were safe, but uh, evidently they were wrong. And, and both the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church were hit. Uh, in the Orthodox Church attack, eighteen people were killed, including, uh, including nine children. This again confirms that uh, uh, nowhere is safe. Nobody is safe uh, in this war. And of course, Israel can claim what it wants. I mean. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked by the fact that people still take statements from the Israeli military as, uh, you know, facts. Uh, <laughs> we in Palestine know too well that you cannot take the, the anything that's uh, said by the Israeli military uh, with credibility. Even the Israeli public know that. And, you know, the Israel's one of Israel's uh, tactics is to portray itself as a protector of Christians. Uh, it's part of the narrative that they want to promote. The Zionist narrative is that this is a war against fundamentalism. This is a religious war. Uh, Christians must aid with, side with Jews against Muslims. And here we are saying this is not a religious conflict. Uh, and that uh, actually our numbers have declined dramatically because of uh, the creation of the State of Israel in 1948. The Nakba gave a big blow to the Christian presence here. Let's not forget that. 
Uh, and so Israel tries to portray this narrative, but facts speak otherwise. And uh, to me, this is one more important reason why we as Christian leaders must speak out because uh, I refuse to be taken advantage of in such a way and used as a uh, you know point in a strategy. No, uh, we are endangered right now. Even our churches were protected. Uh, everything that Palestinians suffer from because of the occupation, we suffer from. Uh, and with regard to this war, let me repeat again, no one and no one is safe. Uh, this is very clear. And I think that's a, an important point as well. You mentioned, of course, that Palestinian Christians were also targeted during the Nakba. Uh, I know that, you know, even before the war, they faced the same challenges. You know, I think there's around 65 laws uh, for the same uh, laws that Palestinian Muslims, the same challenges they're given. It deprives them of the same rights as the Jewish citizens of Israel. So in, in line with all of this, are you now calling for an international effort to protect you as a minority? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> uh, we, we're not asking for special treatment. Uh, I think as, as Palestinians, yeah, maybe we need it right now. We definitely need protection. But as Palestinian Christians, uh, I don't think it's helpful and I don't think uh, it's sustainable. And I don't think we want to be treated uh, in, in a special way. Uh, we want an end to the war. Uh, we want an end to the occupation. We want to contribute uh, in a reality in which there are equal rights to all citizens. Uh, we want to feel as equals to everyone else in this land, uh, Muslims and Jews. Uh, we are but, part of but, the Palestinian... But if that doesn't happen, you really are at risk of, of complete displacement or uh, or annihilation. I, I think more than 21 people have already been killed, and that's a, that's a big impact when there's only around 1,000 people to begin with. What solution is there? Because clearly there is no end to the war coming anytime soon. Clearly we are not getting any closer to create uh, uh, an independent Palestinian state. What, what solution do you see if you're not calling for an international effort um, to protect you as a minority? Um, no, the, the only thing we should say is this war must end. This war is clearly not achieving any anything uh, positive. Uh, this war is only creating more hostility and division, and it must end. Uh, and I don't want us to reach to a point in which we say, okay, the war could continue, but we need to find a solution to rescue only the Christians. Uh, that that wouldn't help us, to be honest. Uh, uh, in in the bigger in the bigger picture. Okay, uh, well, well, as we know, Israel is also a homeland for Jewish people. Now, they also claim that they are a minority at risk. So, as a religious figure, what is your position on the rights of Jews to be able to live in peace, particularly uh, given Jerusalem is a shared holy site for the three Abrahamic faiths? Yeah, I mean, everybody has the right to live in peace uh, everywhere. Uh, and uh, when Western Christian leaders uh, press us on this, I say, why, you know, uh, Jews should have the right and freedom to live in peace everywhere, in the United States, in, uh, in Europe, even in Arab countries, uh, we should be in a position where Jews don't feel threatened anywhere. But to somehow impose that, uh, they can only be safe if they have a homeland in Palestine on our expense. This is where we have a problem. Uh, and even when we, uh, as Palestinians, got to a point, okay, let's divide the land, even that was not accepted. 
So it seems that the whole world is determined to make sure Jews are safe, but not in their land, in our land. And this is where we can, you know, I don't get it. And then they blame us for uh, as if we are anti-Semites, whereas anti-Semitism is what drove Jews from Europe to begin with uh, to come to our land. Uh, as a faith leader, I want to feel, uh, I want to live in a, in a reality and experience a reality in which all people are equal. And I've said it many times before this war. Uh, my vision, my dream is for my children to have Israeli children, um, uh, to have Israeli friends. Is is It's not just to end the conflict, but to live in a reality in which we are friends with and, and neighbors with the Israelis. Uh, they're here. I don't want to see uh, Israel destroyed or Jews leave. Okay, uh, but, but what, what do you say to the Palestinian factions who called for the killings, the, the kidnapping and the abuse of innocent Jews based on their religious views? Uh, this surely this tarnishes the image of a legitimate resistance to an occupying force, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, but we cannot isolate these voices as if they represent all Palestinians. And definitely we cannot ignore the fact that it's the Israeli leaders and politicians, the elected politicians who are clearly saying Palestinians will never have a state and who are clearly dismissive of our rights and calling for exclusive right to the Jews and exclusive, you know, saying statements like these are officials in, in uh, uh, official positions of the Israeli state that Jews have exclusive ownership of the land. So on the one hand, the whole world focuses on statement by Palestinian groups, uh, Palestinian faction, uh, you know, some militant groups or uh, Islamic groups, but they completely ignore the public discourse of the Israeli elected officials. Uh, the whole world, for example, went crazy about statements like from the river to the sea. Yet just before the war, Netanyahu in the United Nations held a map of what he called Israel, uh, the whole uh, map, the whole historical Palestine. Uh, so it's the other way around, Katie. It's the Israelis who are not recognizing our rights to exist. It's the Israelis who are denying our connectedness to the land and our belonging to the land. And then when certain groups call for the destruction of Israel, this is what only, you know, maybe Western media and leaders focus on and ignore uh, the whole context. Uh, this is, to me, a, a very troubling uh, position when you ignore the fact that uh, we are the colonized, and now you're asking the colonized, the occupied, to recognize their colonizers' right to exist as a precondition uh, to even be considered for... Uh, and, and even when Palestinians did that, accepting the two-state solution, it seems that that was not uh, enough. This is behind uh, the reaction that you see from many Palestinian leaders today, uh, including faith leaders, and saying it's time to recognize our presence, our right to exist, uh, and that it's been 75 years. This did not start in October 7th. And again, this is not to justify the kidnapping of children, uh, the killing of children, and this is definitely not to justify any call to destroy Israel. Ultimately, I hope and pray to be in a reality in which we share the land. But right now, we need to be clear, why isn't this happening? And in the meantime, the death toll continues to rise, particularly with civilians, women and children's lives at risk each and every day. Pastor, final question for you. How do you see this conflict ending? Do you think we could see some kind of miracle and a Palestinian state finally be created? I think mainly of my commitment. What is my role? What is our role as faith leaders? Um, 
And right now, our main uh, objective is to end this war in Gaza. But beyond that, um, we cannot lose hope. We cannot lose hope that one day we can create a reality in which uh, we live in peace in this land with equal rights with everyone, whether it be it one state or two state or a confederate or any other political solution. To me, as a faith leader, what matters most is the idea of equal rights, where people have the same rights regardless of their nationality, ethnicity, or religion. Uh, this is what we need to thrive for. And as long as um, one side feels that they can never be held accountable and that they can do whatever without being held accountable, I think we will never reach to this point. And as long as we as a, as a humanity and speaking person as a pastor, as people of faith, do not join in challenging every exclusive ideology uh, that dismisses the other, I don't think we will get there. Uh, and, and this is why we are where we are right now. Uh, the world was okay with uh, Israel shifting more and more and more to the right, uh, openly saying there will never be a Palestinian state, openly saying only Jews have a right to the land, openly electing, and, and then electing openly racist leaders, uh, continuing with the building of settlements for uh, all these years, making sure there can never be a Palestinian state, and then blaming the Palestinians for it. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, so unless as we as an international community, as faith leaders, unite together and call for this ideal of justice and equal rights, it will not happen. So my hope is not simply that God intervenes. I pray for this every, every day. But I look at what is my role in this. And I hope that people of goodwill from every faith tradition join us in these efforts uh, to achieve uh, the desired outcome. Well, a very powerful message indeed. Pastor, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your message with us and your insights today on Frankly Speaking. We do thank appreciate you. your time. Thank you.